Hey everybody, welcome back to the Ohioan Podcast Network. Craig Schaub here with George Thomas, our Akron Beacon Journal film critic. George, how are you doing today on this very steamy summer afternoon? The heat is zapped my soul from my body. Yes. Well, and too bad we're not talking about the great Disney Pixar soul. We're talking about the latest Disney Pixar today, Lightyear. Now, this is actually... Uh, going to be released in theaters, unlike Soul and Turning Red, which got straight to Disney Plus releases. Is Lightyear ahead of its time, or are we talking about maybe not so good Disney Pixar here? And between Disney Pixar here, I mean, it, 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 and I, my opening line is, they deserve credit in my review. They deserve credit for being clever. I mean... John Lasseter years ago, almost 30 years ago. Can you imagine? Can you believe yeah. that? Almost 30 years ago, came up with a bunch of original characters for a movie called Toy Story. Gave us Buzz and Woody, two of the most beloved animated characters in the history of animation. And um, this movie is basically... Taking Buzz Lightyear and giving him his definitive movie. I mean, this is the movie the Buzz Lightyear toy was based on. Yeah. Talk about freaking meta, right? Right. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, the problem is, you hate trashing Buzz freaking Lightyear. You really do, and I'm I, I can't really trash it, but. For those kids, for somebody like me who who I can't say grow grew up on the Toy Story movies, because I was in my twenties when the first one came out, um, who appreciated what the Toy Story movies were, who had that 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 favorite toy, who invented this universe in your bedroom with those toys and everything. It was like a revelation. It was a complete, total revelation. It was whimsical. Right. The whimsy here has been replaced with a bunch of science fiction conventions because it's that definitive story of Buzz Lightyear. Uh, Tim Allen isn't doing the voice. Chris Evans of Captain America fame is. That's the strength of the movie. A weakness is overall the story, which I don't want to give away too much, but it's a movie that deals with regret. What kid wants to see that? The adults will get it, but no kid wants to deal with that. Right. Um, it's about living in the moment. And yeah, I get what they're trying to do. It's just, I wanted that sense of whimsy. And after Toy Story 4, I probably shouldn't have expected any more whimsy. But yeah. reality is reality. And with, with, with a property like Toy Story and anything associated with it, you expect, you expect certain things. Yeah. And in that regard, the film doesn't deliver. If you can differentiate and understand that they're two distinct movies, if you can if you can parse it that way, 
there are some good moments to be had here. Um, like I said, Chris Evans is a strength. If you're a sci-fi fan, yeah, there are cliched sci-fi conventions. One of them's a bit clever. But uh, overall, I gave it like a B minus. Okay. You know, this was, I know this, I don't know, I, I can't remember exactly when this was announced, maybe a year ago, two years ago, I think with COVID, everything seems like it's either just happened or about five years ago. But I know there's a lot of buzz, no pun intended here, when this movie was announced and people were getting excited about, you know, sort of an origin story. I was probably one of those few that did not really care for it, you know, for the release, you know, this was one of their big, you know, pitches for Disney to, to provide more content. I mean, I, I, I like the toy, toy Story movies, but this didn't really speak to me. So, you know, I'm kind of disappointed to hear that it's maybe not great Pixar because we sort of expect that with Pixar. But I was, I'm also kind of of the mindset that I wasn't really expecting much out of this, too, because I didn't really I, I, I don't even have a really big desire to see this maybe for the exception of seeing it on disney plus at some point you know when we just have some time to kill at home well you might have had the same reaction i had when i first heard about this which was it's a money grab yeah oh yeah it's a straight up money grab some 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 executive somewhere said hey wouldn't this be a great idea and you know pixar Maybe it was even a Pixar executive that decided it would be a good idea, but they didn't uh, push back. Whatever, I don't know. Yeah, I can't say, but it 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 comes across as like yeah, money grab, and you expect uh, more something more original from Pixar. I mean, you can be clever and not be original. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's where we are with this. It's, yes, it's clever, but not terribly original. Well, I know that, you know, this this movie was probably destined for the theaters because they probably assume that the popularity is going to carry it through to a big box office return. But this is probably the type of movie that would be better served for a Disney Plus release than some of their other, I mean, I know Soul especially, you know, I know we've talked about Soul quite a few times and its greatness and and yeah, even though it's it's definitely got some adult themes to it, so does Turning Red. You know, those are two very good original movies that Pixar has churned out that didn't get the theatrical love. And then here comes Lightyear with the theatrical release as opposed to the Disney Plus release. I know I'm not surprised because Lightyear was that property that they probably figured was going to make the big bucks at the box office. But does this play more like something that you would see released on Disney Plus when they may not necessarily know they have a winner on their hands versus, you know, maybe some of those other movies should have gotten an opportunity to see how their box office return could have been? No, the 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 the, the craft is there. That's the best way to put it. Okay. Um, I, let's let's go back. What was the film a few years ago, beginning of the pandemic? Onward. Yeah. That name, yeah. That felt like a straight to Disney Plus kind of movie to me. Right. Yeah. Never once did I. Technically, it's a great film. It's typical, beautiful Pixar. It really is. 
Matter of fact, in in some areas, it's playing in IMAX. And the local rep tried to get me to see it in IMAX, but I wasn't going to drive 40 miles for it. Right. And, uh, and I'm not talking 40 miles round trip. I'm talking 80 miles round trip right. on a Wednesday night when, when thunderstorms were forecast. Just wasn't going to do it. Um, the director, his last name is McLean, is confident. He's confident in everything. It's 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 just, you know, give me something original. Nope. I mean, that's what Pixar has always been known for, unless they're you're dealing with a sequel. But there was enough to mine from Toy Story to appreciate that. Cars, not so much. But from the Toy Story films, yeah. And and they even took that one too far. Toy Story works best as a trilogy, so yeah. Well, hopefully we. Uh, I mean, you know, obviously, I know you and you liked it enough to recommend, but uh, hopefully this will not spawn additional Toy Story origin stories here. I would I would hope it does not with like Woody or something or. Oh come on, you! If, if this does probably any kind like, of business, you know what's gonna happen. Come on, probably. Well, it, it just seems like it's, I mean, even though I'm sure it's beautiful to look at, Pixar's generally known for that. And of course, you know, the last time they were in space with, uh, you know, a, a Pixar film was WALL-E and it looked gorgeous. So I can only imagine that Lightyear probably has that classic Pixar look to it, but it just seems flimsy from a story perspective. Like, does anybody really care about how Buzz Lightyear came to be a toy. Like I, that's kind of where I was at and why I didn't really have a lot of interest in, in this from the beginning when they announced it. No, I didn't. I mean, there, there's a certain mystery to those characters. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And why spoil the mystery when they, when they connected so well with an audience, you know what I mean? Yeah. So and they, and they've spawned four, films and that franchise and they probably could do 12 if they really want to so i mean it just seems unnecessary and i i get it i think part of the problem that pixar's had is they were really known for being original and then when they kind of started looking at the box office and maybe not getting the type of return that they wanted on some of those movies that's when they started saying well, we need to just start putting out sequels and threequels and so on and so forth. And, and now you get an origin story because they were, even though everybody loved Up and Wally e and Ratatouille, I don't know that they loved the box office that returned on those. And that's why they're thinking less originality and more known commodity when you get uh, Incredibles 2 that literally happens, what, 15 years after the first one or whatever. And it was literally set right after the first film. And it felt old because of that. Um, doesn't that sound like a Walt Disney Studios edict more than anything else? Yeah, it does. It really does. And I wonder if that's sort of, you know. Uh-oh. what it was you know it didn't seem like it needed a a cars franchise toy story maybe that's fine 
but I really never understood why there were sequels to Cars. Oh, my least favorite Pixar film ever. Yeah. Yeah. But maybe this will spawn more stuff. I get it. You know, especially, I mean, it's probably going to make a lot of money because you have people that are even older that have watched the the original Toy Story and they might have some interest in going to the theater. Kids are going to want to see it just because they've probably grown up watching Toy Story on Disney Plus or whatever. So I'm guessing we're going to see a big box office return and that probably means that we might get more branch off of Toy Story or whatever. Who knows? But at the end of the day, I'd love to see Pixar sort of return to their roots and and get back to more original content because I really enjoyed turning red. I know it was, you know, sort of, you know, iffy for you at times with the subject matter, but I thought it was really good. And I loved soul. I thought soul was a great film that really deserved a lot more love, you know, from Disney Pixar, you know, backing it and giving it more of a, of a push, but it also came out when Disney plus was trying to, you know, grab more subscribers. So I understand that, but Hopefully, in the future, Pixar will be given more of a green light to pursue more original content. <laughs> Until You're we funny. get Cars 15 and, you know, every time I think of a Pixar, you know, this is bad because, you know, we just talked about with Pixar being known for the originality. Every time I think of Pixar now, I always think of the final credit sequence in 22 jump street where they're they're mocking themselves by having like you know 43rd jump street and you know sequel after sequel after sequel and i think that's kind of the way i look at pixar now is there are very few original movies and it's a lot about cashing in on on those properties that have already done fairly well and you know it's it's a little bit less of a gamble i guess for pixar to go after money when you've got cars 12 versus an original you know film yeah i mean there's this thing called money in the bank and you know what they it's it's difficult to say this because you have to because you you have to separate the man from the, the talent to do this and i hate doing it but i think the studio is hurt when John Lasseter yeah. rightly right. was forced out. Yeah. So there we have it. And, and, and although he gets the credit for cars, so. <laughs> <laughs> wow, George, I didn't know you hated cars so much. I really detest cars. Okay. I, that's fine. I mean, I, I like the voice cast other than maybe Owen Wilson, but, um, you know, yeah. I think Cars was probably a premise that didn't need a full movie, but, um, you know. Let alone, what, is it three now or two? Three, yeah. I didn't. Yeah. I don't remember seeing the third one. We might have seen it, and I just didn't remember. I know we didn't see it in theaters, but I, I don't remember seeing Cars 3. And There's I barely nothing remember memorable Cars. about it. Don't worry. I don't really remember Cars 2 that much either. I do. I did like the first one, though. I thought it was it was fine, but... Nothing to write home about, and certainly nothing to to really inspire two sequels. So, the best thing about Cars, the first one was was Paul Newman. Yes, Paul Newman was great. Yeah. So there we go. Yeah, and I like Bob Costas for some reason in there as well as a play by play guy for uh, the the race the races. 
That's, <laughs> thing. that's, just, that's the only other thing I remember was that, oh, Bob Costas was, you know, calling. I can't remember what NASCAR legend was calling the races with him, but I do remember Bob Costas. I don't remember either. See how much I love cars? <laughs> yes. Well, I, I wish we could transition here into uh, something more original, but speaking of going back to the well, and maybe for a good reason, Netflix has decided to renew The Lincoln Lawyer Season 2. Uh, you you did enjoy the first season of The Lincoln Lawyer. Uh, you know, and, and when we discussed what we were going to talk about, you said this was a good move for Netflix. Uh, explain why you think this is a good move here to uh, renew The Lincoln Lawyer. Uh, number one, after, you know, I rewatched this thing. Okay. And I it deserved a better review from me. So <laughs> that, yeah, that's that's a chief reason, but it's also one of their most sh watched shows of the year. Yeah. So, and let's face it, Netflix needed something. They need some good buzz. And, you know, this, this, my other than Squid is it Squid Game, yeah, is the best news they could have in in a, in a TV show renewal at this point. Um, I enjoyed the show immensely. The entire cast is coming back apparently, including Nev Campbell. Um, so let's go for round two, season two. Yeah, I mean that makes sense, and I think you know we've talked about this. They have a lot of you know, one season off kind of shows. And that's sometimes detrimental to Netflix that we've talked about. So maybe this will, will help sort of their cause in a lot of ways. I, I think it probably will. You know, there are some good shows out there on Netflix. A lot of it is, is, is there's so much excess around those shows that I think a lot of that programming, like, you know, the Queen's Gambit is something, you know, and they do have, multiple seasons of some shows that, you know, people have liked over the years. But I think their biggest problem is they get bogged down with so much excess that people just don't even. Come on. You can say it. Say it. Say fat. Say fat. They need so to trim the fat. They really do. You know, they, they do because, you know, Netflix was the only game in town for so many years. So they were able to just do whatever they wanted. They've built this empire and they've allowed themselves to effectively have a bloated budget compared to other streamers because they've been doing it for so long and have all these subscribers. Well, now they start losing it. They cancel shows that some people don't understand why they canceled them. Like Cowboy Bebop was a very highly anticipated series and they cancel it after one year. And it, it just leaves people wondering like, what's, what's Netflix strategy? Is it just to buy up these properties and then, one off them and then no one else can really have them until they sell them. I mean, it's, it's hard to understand. And then that mm -hmm. makes it harder to navigate what you want to watch on Netflix. They were throwing a bunch of stuff against the wall. That's what yeah. it boils down to. Right. That's always been what it boiled down to. And it caught up with them. Yeah. Do you think that they're kind of shifting their strategy? And I know we've talked about this too with, you know, their their film library has gotten better, especially their original films, where they've been competing for Oscars and winning a lot of awards and, you know, really putting together a pretty good original content. But their TV has suffered. Their TV shows have suffered for it. Do you feel like you're going to see a shift with that? 
Um, with their TV stuff, yeah. I don't know. You know what? They're they're suffering from what eventually catches up catches up to every network. You can have networks who are who are on a roll for seemingly forever. You know what I mean? Think about um, must see TV on Thursday nights on NBC. Now let me ask you a question. It's the last time you watched something on Thursday nights on NBC. I can't even tell you what's there anymore. So, yeah. you know, it's it's, yeah. it's kind of a comeuppance. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, Law & Order SVU has been on Thursdays, but you're right. There's, you know, there's definitely a lot of programming on network TV, especially that people probably, you can ask someone, well, when's, when's this show on? And most people might not even know. I don't even watch network TV beyond... Gordon Ramsay's, uh, um, what's the one? Uh, Hell's Kitchen. Hell's Kitchen. Yeah. Hell's Kitchen, and we liked like the new one he had this past winter. Um, Master Chef or something? No, or it involved something? an elevator. Oh. All day. oh okay. Yeah. And it, it was cool. Okay. So yeah, on that, and the new Law and Order. Which is basically the old log. It wasn't. I gave it a couple couple episodes. It really wasn't to my liking. So it's yeah. like, yeah. okay, no, there's nothing there. Well, and it's. I think it's hard for network TV to keep up because with all the competition they have from streamers who can take things the extra mile, whether it be you know TVMA content or whatever. They can be a little racier. They can they can be a little bit more sort of grounded in reality compared to shows that you watch where it would be quite easy for a character to drop an f bomb, but they can't because they're on Fox or they're on NBC. And I think it's it's kind of like sanitized everything you see on some of these you know network TV you know programming when you know you're watching a, a, a crime drama and it's hard to really get into it when it's not going the full length that it could really go like it can on HBO or Paramount plus, or even Peacock and all the others. So unless of course you're on Disney plus, then you're going to be, you know, TV 14, no more, you know, but uh, I don't know. I, I just feel like, uh, you know, Netflix, if they can kind of reset a little bit, you know, and, and reinvest into their TV and, and less is more approach like we've talked about in the past, they can get back on track and maybe they're starting to do that with the Lincoln lawyer and, and knowing that, you know, they have a winner and they're not going to cancel it just because the budget might inflate for season two or whatever. If, if the people are watching it, why not, you know, get yourself a second season of something. No one should, no one should really be upset if, if a Netflix show only goes three seasons because, in a lot of ways, that's the going rate for HBO shows. You know, you're not always going to get a lot more than three seasons on on most HBO shows. So, well, nowadays, I think The well, Wire went five or six. Yeah, and Sopranos did, and Sex and the City did, but it's very few and far between. And I think more focus is on shorter seasons because you can, you know, and people were complaining that Ozark was basically getting the axe at Netflix, and it's like, well, they're getting four seasons. I mean. <laughs> You know, what do you think, want? I think the big difference is you've got a lot of, I don't know if you call them 
filmmakers or whatever on the television level. Yeah. Let's call them producers on that level who come in with a definitive story arc and they they let the the the, the network or the the service know how much time they need to do this. Right. And I think that's the way it's being done now. Yeah. Instead of, of milking stuff for years after its prime. I mean, one of my favorite shows ever is Supernatural. But you know what the best best seasons of Supernatural are? Seasons one through five. Right. And there were 15 seasons. Jeez. <laughs> and the first five are, are the best. Yeah. Not because it, it, it was something original, yeah. But the storytelling is, it was lost in the shuffle, meaning meaning audiences didn't find it. And they found it after its prime, which is weird. And it, it's telling that the, the story showrunner for Supernatural during those years is now the creator and showrunner for The Boys on Amazon Prime, okay. which yeah. is a show that's apparently in its prime. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and you know, you look at a lot of these shows, though, like you said, with these bigger named, whether they're TV producers or, or film producers that are coming in and having these stories and these ideas. You know, Mayor of Easttown is a prime example where everybody was clamoring for a second season. And initially, that wasn't even a thought on anybody's mind. And then it does so well. And it's, you know, people love it. And now the idea was, well, could we maybe bring it back? So, you know, sometimes it's probably works against you when you have some of these people that come in and produce great television because then you don't want to stop watching Kate Winslet sol solve crimes in a small Pennsylvania town. Very true. And it becomes an issue, I guess, because then then you start getting those cash grabs for the second season and they're probably not going to be as good. Exactly. You know, we talked, uh, you know, I think you mentioned it several shows ago where, you know, Ballers, the Dwayne Johnson show probably peaked after two or three seasons you could make the argument that entourage probably peaked after three or four seasons but you keep you keep going to the well because the ratings are solid and you know you have a a show that people are at least familiar with you don't have to try something new and you're gonna probably milk it for all it's worth and because of that you know those later seasons aren't going to be quite as good boy howdy yeah all right, George. Well, uh, as always, you can follow George at by George Thomas on Twitter. You can read all of his content at beaconjournal.com. We will be uh, talking next week about Elvis, the Baz Luhrmann Elvis, which uh, kind of excited to hear your take about. So until then, George, we will see you next week. All righty. Hi, I'm Jennifer Mooney. Welcome to what is our new Hope Interrupted podcast based on the work from our book, Hope Interrupted, that I co-authored with my good friend, Byron McCauley. Hey, Jennifer. You know, I'm looking forward to this podcast as much as I was look, looking forward to writing this book with you. We hope to interview some uh, high-impact folks as well as have a little fun. We're going to cover stories of hope. To learn more about our podcast and our book, please visit www.hopeinterrupted.com. <laughs>